Hi, I'm Corey Nathan, and this is Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other. Your home for edifying, provocative, and fun conversations among high-profile public figures and regular folks like me. We talk about faith and politics and all kinds of topics that really matter in our culture. So if you're tired of all the screamers out there taking all the oxygen out of the room and you want to join us and taking some of that space back, you'll love talking politics and religion without killing each other. Thanks for spending some time with us. Enjoy today's show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are talking politics and religion without killing each other. I am your host, Corey Nathan, and I I can't tell you how grateful I am. We have this place, we have this forum where I get to talk to some of the coolest people, some of the smartest people, some of the most interesting people, but we do it in a way that is edifying. My brother hates that word. That is fun, that is informative, that is just different where we're not killing each other. And I just love it. I absolutely love it. So if this is the first time you're listening to this program, thank you. Thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate it. If you dig what we're doing, please tell somebody about it. Tell somebody about it. Leave a rating or a review. I think we're getting a big push on Pocket Cast this week. So yeah, check us out on that platform or others. And it really helps to get the word out to more people and more folks can participate in what we're doing. Talk politics and religion without killing each other. And we can have more conversations like the one we're having today with the man with the white flag, Joe Walsh. Joe Walsh is a former U.S. congressman, a former presidential candidate, a nationally syndicated radio host, once dubbed the next Rush Limbaugh, I'll have you know. Uh, (laughs) But now a man whose personal mission is to listen with his growing podcast, White Flag with Joe Walsh. He surrenders the urge to fight and strives to find a path to unite, not divide. Joe was also the author of Fuck Silence, calling Trump out for the cultish, moronic, authoritarian con man that he is. I still contend one of the best book titles I've ever heard. <laughs> he is a former Tea Party firebrand turned woke, never Trumper. He's also definitely a guy who strives to have meaningful conversations with folks from across the spectrum and yearns to give voice to so many who are somewhere in the middle. And I'm so grateful to get to hang out with him again today. Joe Walsh, thanks for coming back to TPNR, man. How you doing? Hey, Corey, I mean it. No bullshit. It's awesome to be with you. And uh, I loved your intro. You said you talked to some of the smartest, most interesting, engaging people. I don't know why the fuck you're talking to me. (laughs) But then the last thing I want to say, Corey, is thank you for what you do, because you and I are trying to do the same thing. Yeah. Get people to sit down because this country is so dangerously divided and we got to We got to fix that. Yeah. The, it's a it's a good point because we come from different places. We have different stories. I think in circa 2010, 2011, we might have been at each other's throats because I was already recognizing back then, even though I have conservative and libertarian, fiscally conservative uh, leanings and socially libertarian uh, leanings forever. From the time of around Sarah, um, Sarah Palin, I was identifying that the way we talk to each other that disagree with us is really central to uh, the problems. But I'm going to ask you more about that uh, as as we move on here. The first question that I want to ask you is now that you're all woke and all, why do you want to break into my house and take my gas stove away? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's Corey, here's the funny thing about that. Two points, by the way. And before I guess we get to gas stoves, and I'll, that is a funny issue. I embrace the term woke. Yeah. And and uh, I wasn't woke. To me, woke is just you've waken up, you've woken up, 
you've listened to people, you understand we still have problems that I wasn't aware of. There's basic unfairness and injustices I wasn't aware of. And we got to talk about them. Yeah. Uh, but there's such a backlash. And even like, Corey, I, I, I've been on Bill Maher's show a bunch. Even like him and people on the left make fun of the, the term woke. I, I think that's bullshit. Yeah. We had a conversation at dinner the other night. And first of all, um, I, I wanted to ask about this chapter of your life. When I mentioned that you're coming back on the program, one of my buddies said, uh, brought up the Muslim Obama thing or the musket thing. Do you ever get weary of having to account for that again and again and again? Yes, uh, but uh, I consider it uh, part of the penance I got to go through. I, I really mean that. Um, I, I've said and tweeted and done a bunch of shit I regret. So to me, the only way to deal with that is just fucking confront it head on. And Corey, you put something in front of me, like you put a tweet of mine from six years ago in front of me. I got to face it and, yeah. and I'll either apologize for it or I won't apologize. And I'll explain what I meant by that. Um, but the other thing is, like, I've been in a I've been a very public person and I've been in positions where it's been my job to push the fucking envelope. And often when I push the fucking envelope, I went too far. Uh, but no, saying I'm sorry is is uh, is what I have to do. I've right. got to live with that. So you you really have awakened, if you will, or, or you transformed. You've had an evolution of sorts. Is there? It seems like a lot of folks can only hold our past transgressions in their minds. It's like they don't allow for the fact that there is an evolution on the part of someone they've deemed to have crossed a line for them. So is there a line? someone could cross, whether it's in word or deed from which they should not be welcomed back? Or or should we continue to provide off ramps for, for folks, whether they be forming Tea Party agitators or part of the Stop the Steal or, or anybody like that? Is there a line somewhere where like, no, dude, you got a life sentence and you're going to be, you know, on MAGA Island for the rest of your life? Uh, I guess short answer is no. To me, there's not a line. And again, my vantage point, Corey, might be pretty screwed up because I come from the mega right. And right now uh, I'm considered a traitor by the mega right. Uh, there are a lot of people, as you know, Corey, who on the left, who will never, ever buy my transformation. I get that. They'll never forgive me for some of the shit I said. I, I just think. I, I think anytime somebody has a legit moment of genuine remorse uh they need that needs to be embraced yeah uh, and i don't believe convert i i think it's so important to have a conversation with anybody too many people on the left too many democrats write off everybody who voted for trump as just some racist hillbilly fuck that it's wrong but what a bad thing to do to just write off half the country so no to me there's no line yeah yeah, it's interesting. What later this week I'm going to be at an industry get together. This thing called Podfest. It's it's going to be it's going to be fantastic. A bunch of people who are passionate about podcasting as a medium, as ways cool. of engaging our world in this in, in this new way are getting together. At the last big get together, the national get together, it wasn't Podfest. It was another organization. There was a pretty big hubbub uh, because one of the biggest podcasters in the world is Ben Shapiro. 
uh, and Ben Shapiro's company, his production company, was one of the big sponsors there. Yeah. And he happened to live in that. I think he lives in Dallas or was there for something else. And he happened to stop in on the um, on the show, on the convention. And somebody really, really objected to his very presence in the in the convention hall. Um, and I just I, it got me thinking, like, I could see if it was somebody like Alex Jones but like Ben Shapiro, you could really object to a lot of the things that he said, especially this individual is a trans um, LGBTQ uh, trans person. And just uh, they use the, the word unsafe. So who am I to judge how they're to feel? But it really got me thinking and digging in on that. Is there a line somewhere where we cannot hold space with somebody who has very different views than us? That's that's one of the reasons I was thinking about it. But talking to you like, man, well, as you said, Corey, I guess that's up to each and every one of us. I mean, somebody at that conference, Ben Shapiro was speaking at that conference. Shapiro should have a right to speak. He's a legit voice. I disagree with a lot of what he says, but he's a legit voice. But if somebody's uncomfortable with that, then that person shouldn't attend that. Uh, that, that that person shouldn't then listen to Shapiro when he speaks at that event. Right. Where, where I have an issue is when we get to a point where we say, well, disinvite Shapiro because yeah. one or 10 or 50 people feel uncomfortable, disinvite that point of view. I, I, I think we, I think this goes to how we don't speak with each other. We don't know each other. And so a lot of us are uncomfortable with viewpoints that we shouldn't be uncomfortable with. I disagree with Ben Shapiro fundamentally. Ben Shapiro thinks Donald Trump is a piece of shit. But Ben Shapiro doesn't have the courage to say that because Ben Shapiro has a business model that forces him to sidle up to Trump and Trumpism and MAGA. Fine. That's his business model. But he's not Alex Jones. Uh, right. right. There's a difference there. There's a difference. Huge, there. huge, huge difference. Um, I, I can see where, you know, Alex Jones is invited to speak. A thousand people stand up and say, don't invite him. But even then, I'm I'm kind of a free speech absolutist, man. I, I I listen to anybody speak and protest, outspeak them, do whatever. But I I just don't like us shutting people down. Yeah, I I have nuanced views on that issue because on the one hand, that organization is a private organization. So at the owners of of the the company, if you will, I'm, I'm not sure if they're a nonprofit, uh, if they if they got a 501c3, I'm not sure what structure they are. Regardless, they're a private organization. So the owners or the board has the right to say, you know what, there's a line for us and Ben Shapiro across that line. That's on the exactly. one hand. But on the other hand, they're presenting it as we are an industry, we're a community of diverse voices and we're celebrating diversity. And I'm thinking, are you really celebrating diversity? And, and okay, so there's a line somewhere I agree with that. And you you and I talked about Alex Jones being over that line, but Ben Shapiro is over that line. And if he is, where tell tell me what that line is, because I think I've probably crossed over it myself. And in my in my congressional days and talk radio days, Corey, I often made fun of snowflakes on the left. Right. You and I knew the stories. Yeah. Um, some conservative was invited to speak on a college campus and all the students and administrators wrung their hands and said, oh, we can't have him on our campus. And I'd, I'd rightly make fun of those people. Come yeah. on, grow up. What's interesting is we have a lot of that same snowflake mentality on the right now. 
it's part of what Trump is. I mean, Trump's the biggest fucking snowflake in the world. He tries to shut down people who make him uncomfortable. We've got people on the right banning books and shit. Uh, th this is really problematic in a society that should be all about the exchange of ideas. And I just, I, I worry about canceling people. I really do. So you bring up an interesting point. I, I have been talking to some of my buddies who are kind of easing their way off of the Trump train. And a lot of them currently are embracing, as you could probably, uh, you could probably guess, Ron DeSantis. My contention, though, is that Ron DeSantis, at least in his most public high profile issues that he speaks on, is not a conservative. He's almost an anti-conservative. So since you're here, I mean, you, you're you're a public figure, you're elected official, congressman, national radio show, You and you've thought about this stuff and you still consider yourself a, a conservative, lifelong conservative. What is conservatism and is Ron DeSantis a conservative? No, 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 you're right, yeah. man. Look, I, I left the Republican Party three years ago when I finished my crazy primary challenge against Trump. Uh, I've... I've always labeled myself a conservative. I hate that label, though, Corey, because conservative makes me think like angry white guy. But I'm, I'm, I'm generally pretty libertarian. What has conservatism always been to me? Uh, free minds, free speech, free market, free trade. Generally, government staying the hell out of my life. Let me keep the money I make and all the rest. Um, uh, that's always been conservative to me. That's not this party anymore, the Republican Party, which is why I left. Uh, it's an authoritarian party. So, so, so they, they right now worship people like Trump and DeSantis who like use government to tell people how to think. Ron DeSantis is trying to tell teachers in Florida what they can and cannot teach about race. That's not conservative to me. I don't want any governor, Democrat or Republican, telling uh, teachers what they should teach in a classroom. But so, no, to answer your question, no, today's Republican Party is authoritarian. It's not conservative, which is why so many people like me no longer identify. Yeah, that's some, some of the things that came up relatively early on when I was starting to really look at uh, DeSantis's uh, record, his how he was dealing with companies during covid during the pandemic, yeah. telling companies, no, you cannot have this policy when it comes to vaccines. Now, whatever your position on vaccines is, I happen to have had all my vaccines. I have one of my kids who uh, chose not to get vaccines. So I had to learn a lot about his point of view and why I was taking that stance. Um, but as a as a business owner, I don't want a governor or a government of any a government official of any kind telling me what my policies should be. And Corey, as a conservative like me, who believes in the free market and the private sector, it is anathema to me that the government can tell a restaurant they can't require their waiters to wear masks. That private company should have the freedom to make that call. Right. And, and, and but but today's Republican Party believes in using the force of government. It's not it's not even like DeSantis is the opposite to me when it comes to freedom. You know, I was thinking so I didn't think we'd get into issues right away because I'm I'm usually more uh, evergreen in 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 what we discuss, but another issue came up at the same dinner the other night. Uh all of us at the table are very supportive of LGBTQ rights. 
Um, I happen to have one of my kids is uh, identifies as non-binary. So I'm learning all about pronouns and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm trying to get better at it and, and speak that language and honor uh, this young person who's amazing to me. And, and I'm learning all kinds of stuff. Uh, there was um, an incident a few days ago at an NHL game. I forget which team. Oh, it's Philadelphia. Yeah. Of course it would be Philadelphia. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where a guy said, you know what? It's against my belief. So I'm going to choose not to participate. Even though I support LGBTQ, I'd probably be wearing that uh, rainbow jersey if I was an NHLer. Um, I also support this guy's right not to participate. Uh, where where do you stand on that? Uh, again, you make a really important point, Corey. We're not talking about the government demanding yeah. this hockey player do something. Right. We're talking about a. I think it was a league thing. Was it a team thing or a league thing? I know the Rangers are doing, uh, they, okay. they have a pride night as well. So it must be an NHL league. So thing. to me, in my world of freedom, the NHL has a right to implement whatever policy they want to implement. An individual team has a right to implement that policy. A, a team member has a right to say, because of my freedom of conscience, I can't participate in that. That hockey player should have that right. But then I believe the private entity then should have the right to penalize that player if that team so chooses. I would hope the team or the league wouldn't penalize that player. And I, like, I think if, if you supported Colin Kaepernick's right to take a knee during the anthem, you should support this hockey player's right not to wear that jersey with the LGBTQ emblem on it. I wish we were just all more tolerant. That's all. I think I think that's where I come down on it. I th I wonder if the league or the Flyers chose to sit him for that game. Um, I wonder how I'd feel about that. I think I would I would support I support the player's right not to participate in compelled speech. So I support his right, but I also believe that he should be willing to accept the consequences. So yeah. the same way that you know one of. Um, uh, Dr. King, since it's uh, just recently Dr. King's birthday, Dr. King, one of his greatest treatises, he wrote from the Birmingham jail, you know, yeah. so he was protesting. I support that right to uh, for nonviolent resistance. But I also believe that one should be willing to accept the consequences of one's actions yes. as well. And, and the consistent thread, Corey, is in the private domain Entities and individuals should be free to make their decision. And I agree with you. If you play it all the way through, that team, that private entity, should have the right to sit him for a game. I, I would interject and I'd, I'd, I'd exercise my right to speak out and I'd encourage the team not to penalize him. Sure. But I acknowledge that the team has that right at the end of the day. So last time we spoke, uh, we got to talk a little bit about Susan and Charles Walsh. Uh, uh, are, I think you mentioned that they're, they passed away. Oh, it makes me sad every day. Yeah, like all within the past three to four years, Corey, they, they both passed oh. away within about a year of each other. Loved them to death. They got to see you get elected to Congress. They got to see your success with the, the radio show. One thing I was curious about, did you ever, you, you mentioned that Susan in particular uh, was politically engaged yeah. was there ever a time where you crossed the line where you got a call from susan william joseph walsh what did you say <laughs> oh completely all the time Corey. uh all the time and I, I i miss my mom to death but yeah um i come from a big family and maybe you can relate to this 
but I come from a family that shuns the public eye. My, I, I grew up, I don't know how you grew up, Corey. I grew up in a big old Irish Catholic family. My mom and dad taught us never fucking talk about yourself. Mm. Don't bring attention to yourself. In my big family, I became a very public person. And most of my family was always uncomfortable with that. Mm. Not only was I a public person, I was a damn outspoken (laughs) public person. Yeah. So, yeah, I stepped in it a lot and I had a viewpoint and my mom, my mom wasn't comfortable with that viewpoint. My mom was a good traditional Republican. I, I never considered myself a Republican. I was a musket grabbing tea party dude. So there were plenty of times where she would pop me upside the head. Yeah, I would imagine the party of Eisenhower was a very different party than the party yes. of Palin. <laughs> yes, yes, completely. I, so you bring up an interesting point. Was your you've obviously had a major transformation, but in some ways your moorings are still you still have uh, your your foundation is still the same. I'm gonna stop you. I'm gonna yeah. stop you because maybe I'm saying what you're saying because I've I've like. Corey, I don't know of anybody else in the country who who like has my public profile who went down the same fucking road I've been down the last 10 years. I mean, think about it. I was uh, the face of the Tea Party, um, Obama's biggest opponent, uh, the most outspoken member of Congress, one of the most divisive talk, syndicated talk radio guys. I vote for Trump. Um, I supported Trump at the beginning. I turned on Trump. I turn on Trump and I lose everything. My radio show, Fox News, I lose it all. And then I primary Trump. And then I become Trump's most conservative opponent. And then I work my ass off the last two or three years helping Democrats get elected. It's been a it's been a bizarre journey. I don't know anybody else who's been on the same road. But even on this bizarre journey. I'm still philosophically, yeah. with some changes, I'm still the same kind of Tea Party libertarian guy philosophically, but I'm not a dick anymore. I've changed who I am as a person. There are so many issues that come up where I, I'm curious about your thoughts, but I, there is this growing ecosystem in a lot of ways. I think it's the hope of our future, not the hope of our future, that may be too much to put on it, but there's this growing ecosystem of people um, that have had similar, uh, that have walked similar paths, although their specific ingredients are a little bit different. But you know, I mean, Charlie Sykes and the Bulwark and and Bill Bill Crystal and all the folks at the Dispatch and from political strategy standpoint, the right, folks right, are- right, right, right. But let me correct you right there. Here's what's weird about me: unlike Charlie Sykes and Bill Crystal and all the Bulwark dudes and all the Dispatch dudes. All everybody else in the never Trumper world, they were never Trump from the beginning. Mm. Like before Trump, Corey, me and Bill Crystal were on opposite sides. He was an establishment fuck. I was the Tea Party dude. Um, the dispatch guys, all of these never Trumpers, they were like establishment Republican guys, Mitt Romney, John McCain. I'm the only never Trumper who literally comes from the mega base and left it. 
that, that's I, I only want to make that one distinction. Now we're all on the same team. Yeah. None of these guys had that road. They all opposed Trump from the beginning. From the get go. Yeah. Whereas a, a guy like Kinzinger or or uh, Representative Liz Cheney, um, they they very much. And if, if you look at their voting record, I mean, they continued to vote with Trump over 90 percent of the time, respectively. So well, here's the funny thing about Kinzinger and Cheney and Kinzinger is a buddy of mine. Uh, we got elected together. I, I respect the hell out of both of them. Kinzinger opposed Trump in 2016. Oh, but then he supported and, him in 2020. And then in 20, he supported him. Liz Cheney campaigned her ass off for Trump in 2020. Like, that's always, Corey, kind of been my red line. People ask me all the time, will I support other Republicans? I can never support a Republican who supported Trump after four years of that guy in the White House. Both yeah. Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger did. It wasn't until January 6th where they said, forget it. Yeah, that's why I asked what I asked. Is is there um, is there an off-ramp? You want to continue to provide off-ramps? And it, it, it's the hard part for me is like, okay, so I like my heroes who weren't captured wasn't enough. Helsinki wasn't enough. Char Charlottesville wasn't enough. Like one after the other, after the other, we could go through a long, long list, literally daily throughout the, you know, however many days of, of Trump's uh, presidency. But for, for you, so you becoming, there's so many questions about becoming a never Trump <laughs> woke guy. Was it one big epiphany or was it more gradual over time for you? So, and I think I've said this to you before, um, I voted for Trump in 16. Uh, I'm on the radio, 100 some uh, stations around the country. Uh, I'm on Fox News every day. I, I, I've been told privately I'm going to be the next Rush Limbaugh. I'm on that road. And when Trump runs in 16, and I didn't really love him or like him, he blocked me on Twitter during that first campaign. Oh, wow. But I but I because I would criticize him. I'm, I mean, I'm in a business where I get paid to say what I think. Uh, but I supported him, Corey, because I knew the same people who supported him supported me. His followers were my followers. His friends were my friends. I knew why people clung to him uh, and I believed it. I, look, I, I think our political system was fucked back then. We needed disruption. Uh, I, I went to D.C. before Trump to be a disruptor. There's good disruptors and bad disruptors. I just didn't pay enough attention to what a bad guy Trump was. So he gets elected in 16. He's sworn in. He becomes president. Corey, I then start to pay attention to him every fucking day. And I remember coming home a month, a month after he was sworn in in early 17 after my radio show, and I turned to my wife before we went to bed, Helene, and I said to her, this Trump thing is not going to end well for me, mm. for us. Uh, I, I'm going to I'm going to take a big hit. So I knew then that me speaking my mind, I was going to eventually have to turn against him. So what was more important to you? I, I'm. I guess I'm asking you to articulate an internal drive, um, yeah. but clearly there was something that was more because you had wealth, you had influence, you had all the signs of outward success. What was more important to you than all that? 
Well, and, and by the way, Corey, uh, I had all of that <laughs> for the first time in my life. <laughs> Wait, I mean, so I, when you were studying at Strasbourg, you weren't like fam- famous and rich? Oh, and- <laughs> oh, oh, oh. famous. No, see, that's the funny fucking thing. When I went to Congress, Corey, 435 members of the House, I was voted the poorest member of Congress. <laughs> I, literally. When we found that out, I laughed. My wife cried. I've never been driven by money. So then I leave Congress. I I become this right-wing media guy. And for the first time in my life, man, I'm making money. Um, But that's easy. You know, brother, because you're probably cut the same way. I couldn't fucking live with myself if I didn't say what I believed and did what I think was right. Yeah. And I I mean, I was in a profession where every day I got beat up by my radio bosses. Come on, say good things about Trump. Uh, Every week, my radio colleagues, the other talkers would call me. Hey, Joe, you got bright future, man. Come on, man. Get on. Get on board. I, I just couldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fair point. I still struggle with. Uh, some of the decisions I've made along the way and what ended up getting me into a little bit of trouble, I I was torn. Um, I, I remember there was this one particular day where I got two big uh, checks from clients and it was um, the, both checks were bigger than what my dad ever made in an entire year. Yeah. But it was at a time in my career where I was representing clients where I could make the case, I could articulate a case for them. Oh, they're the best at this and the best at that. But inside, I knew that I I had certain principles when I was taking on a client. And the the most important one was what is their culture like when you walk in their door? Culture, you know, culture is kind of like a mist that you can almost feel, but you can see how people are talking to each other in the hall. You you see um, what, what projects they prioritize. And I knew, I knew I was... I was making, I was justifying it. I was almost lying to myself internally that that they weren't getting A's or even B's in all the important categories for me. Yeah. So over over the years, I've had to, I, I've I've I recently took on a new client. I said, you're one of only two people in the entire industry that I would uh, or companies in the entire industry that I take on. They're they're awesome people. It's an awesome company. Well, I really Corey, you you strike me as a dude who at the end of the day couldn't fucking sell your soul. I, I, I tried, I man. <laughs> I, oh, I, oh, I, believe me, it's, it's not easy. I tried to talk myself into it. <laughs> and, and I, and I, I get it. And there was probably a moment before I turned on Trump publicly where I said, come on, man, do you really want to do this? Cause every one of my former colleagues in Congress, they all sold out every, every other right-wing media dude sold out. The money was good. The ratings was good. I could have gotten elected again. I I, I could have been anything. And, and it's it's hard to walk away from that, but I, I couldn't live with myself. Just so, so pull back the curtain for us, because I, I have this conversation with folks a lot of the time that, uh, that what what you did or what Charlie did when he was on the right, you know, um, uh, yeah. conservative firebrand. What is your job on a daily basis? Like what, what is the recipe you go in in the morning or maybe you're preparing the night before? What is the secret sauce? What is the trick? That's a great question, Corey. Look, uh, my secret sauce has always been, I've been honest uh, and I'm, I'm passionate and I'd go on the radio or TV 
And I very honestly, passionately say what I believed. That's how I did it. Um, and by the way, that got me in trouble a lot because I would honestly and passionately go over the line. For a lot of guys in this business, right-wing talk, it's, it's entertainment. Rush Limbaugh was the fucking king. He was just an entertainer. He didn't believe half of what he said. Hannity's a bullshit artist. He doesn't believe half of what he says. Um, so I think most of the most of my colleagues were that way. Uh, I couldn't be that way. Um, I I because I, I, like every day I'd go, I'd turn on the mic, and I like had a show that I had to get off my chest. Um, but but the bad part of it was, I knew there was currency in pissing off your audience, mm. in, in, in flaming them and riling them up. So there were times I did too much of that. You see guys like Tucker Carlson and all the rest, they do that every night now. I did too much of that that I'm not proud of. Yeah, I have this very unformed theory. I actually started to talk to your old campaign, man. Not old, she's wonderful and she's annoyingly Lucy, yeah. young, Lucy, yeah. Lucy Caldwell. But I, I, I threw some of these um, hypotheses, unformed hypotheses by her and guys like Dan Bongino, Sean Hannity, even Ben Shapiro to a certain degree, they're almost like crack dealers or they're appealing to the same parts of the brain that crack and heroin are appealing to. So, you know, and and you, you've you mentioned um, in other interviews that one of the things that you would do, and I, I saw this on January 6th, that's where it became crystal clear to me. I turned on uh, the last 15 minutes of the Will Cow Majority and the first 15 minutes of Hannity's radio program on XM. Yeah. And it they they went into this is what they do mode. So they were um, instead of talking about January 6th, they were talking about some of the protests over the summer that got violent. And yeah. um, only seven percent of them, by the way, for for the record, uh, did get violent. Even the ones that did get violent, a very small percentage of individual people within those protests uh, got violent and and um, created havoc. Um, but but they you take that those isolated individual incidents or those, those individual people and you blow it up and say, this is what they do, whether it's the left or the Democrat party, the Democrat party, or, you know, anybody, uh, the um, rhinos, this is what they do. You generalize and o o oversimplify and mischaracterize. Uh, Corey, that's so, that's spot on. They understand that our audience, the, the right wing audience is primarily middle-aged, older white people. And so you do that. You find, you find one department store somewhere in Vegas that outlaw, that doesn't let its employees say Merry Christmas during Christmas time. The war on Christmas. And you go, but here's the key, Corey. You go on your show that day, and I would do some of this, but you go on that show that day or night and you tell your audience there's a fucking war on Christmas. This is happening everywhere. Now understand there's a kernel of truth. There are people in this country who try to be politically correct and say happy holidays, but you blow it up because your audience is white people who desperately want 1954 America back. Yeah. So you scare the shit out of them every day and night that they're never getting it back. I'm telling you, man. So when it, when I was going into the city to New York every day, I was going my uh, I was a stockbroker during the day, and and our main office, well, the main office was downtown, but the offices I was in was on in Red Bank on the Jersey side. So I'd take the train. Uh, I'd 
drive into Hoboken and take the path in uh, to the city to get to my theater. And I'd pass, I'd go through, um, I think it was Union Square. That the, It's on uh, where uh, Broadway, not 23rd. Anyway, I, okay. I walked through this little mini park uh, where Broadway intersects with a couple of big uh, streets. Yeah. And there was always this one guy who, when you pass him, he's like saying under his breath, acid, cocaine, smoke, acid, cocaine, smoke. <laughs> so that's basically what Hannity is. Hannity's that guy in the little square saying acid, cocaine, smoke and getting like millions of listeners or maybe Tucker, you know, millions of listeners. So how do we yeah. solve it? How do we get people off get, getting off of their addiction to political, social crack and and um, addicted to healthier, I don't know, kale and compromise? <laughs> Uh, boy, I'll tell you what, Corey, that's the million dollar question. So again, because I come from that world, I spend a lot of my week uh, engaging with people in that world. And I, 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 you've heard me call myself a reform gangbanger. I'm trying to save other people from the gang. Most can't be saved. It's, it's a big part of why I think, Corey, my former party is pretty much toast because older white people die eventually. And the party isn't replacing these people with young voters and people of color because they rightly look at this and say, that's not what I want to be. Yeah. So I think the party's in a lot of trouble. So you bring up a really good uh, good point that I was going to ask you about. Someone, a reformed gangbanger, what have you found to be effective ways of persuading someone or helping an individual with their own awakening if you whether it's on a particular point like the election wasn't fucking stolen asshole or <laughs> that's not a good persuasive way to go yeah. about it but or in a broader <laughs> understanding that people outside your bubble aren't you know the embodiment of evil ha, ha, what have you found to be effective ways of engaging well it, it helps to be me like uh if you're uh if you're a liberal or a dem or you're an msnbc watcher trying to talk to these people you're not going to get in the door so be, because I'm of them, I come from the, their world, they listen to me. And, and Corey, the only success I've had is when I listen and I, I, I continue to put little nuggets of truth in front of them over and over, like the election. And, and you just keep asking them questions and then you put a little truth in front of them. But you, you keep listening to what their grievances are because they have grievances and you talk to them about those grievances. Um, I, I think if you, if you go down that road, eventually uh, so many of these people, Corey, just want to fucking be heard. Yeah. Um, but you can't be, you can't be a patsy. It's also got to be tough love. You got to continually put truth in front of them. I've, I found that's the only way I've had any success. You know, it sounds a lot like um, a book, one of my favorite books that I read toward the end of last year is called I Never Thought of It That Way by Monica Guzman. Oh. Uh, she is with the Braver Angels. Uh, she is admittedly proudly oh, yeah. liberal, but her parents are immigrants uh, from Mexico who are also big Trump supporters. So yeah. she's had to learn to have these conversations in her own family. She loves her parents. Um, and she studied it also as a journalist. How do you do this? And then she's put these um, big um, conversation, larger conversations together. She lives in a county that I think was about 80 uh, percent Biden voters. And she found the nearest county that was uh, uh, maybe it was 70 percent, but it was largely, largely Biden. Um, and then she found the nearest county she could that was largely Trump voters. Uh, so it was 
yeah. you know, the opposite, about five hours away. She's on the Washington, Washington state side. She found a county on the Oregon uh, side of the border and um, had these big conversations. And one of her big takeaways was just that. And that's the title of her book is just being able to listen to someone so that you could really understand and say, oh, I never thought of it that, that way. You know, you keep drilling down on what their grievances are. Yeah. And you keep peeling that onion till you get to the core of it. Yeah. Um, I, I found that that's a really helpful process. Yeah. Yeah. And just, and, and knowing that you're not going to convince the entire, you know, group, yeah. uh, but, but you can have, you can have a moment with one individual that you're talking to uh, that relationship based. And, and Corey, by the way, this could be done on a much bigger fucking scale. If, if some network executive had courage, like, can you imagine if Fox News gave me a nightly show, a <laughs> hardcore Tea Party conservative who's anti-Trump Trumpism in this Republican Party? Yeah. If, a, I think a show like that would be lights out. I think the ratings would be off the chart. But I would do this. I would engage with these folks. Yeah. Uh, but but it's just I, I think co- executives, TV people don't think there's money in something like that. Like, why doesn't CNN or MSNBC, Corey, have a show with a principled conservative and a principled liberal have an interesting talks about issues? Maybe there's no money in that. Ah, man, I'd like to it's think that there is. It's all tribal. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, man. I think that. I think that in a black and white world, the color ads get a lot more eyeballs. In a color world, sometimes a black and white ad get will get more eyeballs. So for me, I know that the show that I am always tuning into on a weekly basis is Michael Smirconish's show on CNN. Uh, it's 6 a.m. here on Saturday mornings. It's just a different show. Now, listen, yeah. I love me some Anderson Cooper. Like Lisa says, if I ever get a call pass, it would be with uh, – with Andy, Andy Cooper. Yeah. That's what we call him. <laughs> no, just I'm just kidding. He's a very he's a great guy too. Anderson's a really good dude. I've I've heard that. I've heard that. But um, but Smirkanish has a different voice. He sounds different because if he doesn't finish a show without pissing off some liberals and some conservatives, he just hasn't done his job. So I really like that. Okay, but I was just gonna say I agree, Corey, with what you said about Smirkanish. Why doesn't He'd have a sh- a nightly show primetime on CNN, I think, if that would sell, if that sold. There's a lot of shows, though. Here, think about this, though. The difference between streaming and yeah. broadcast is that streaming can build an audience over time. There are still people who are tuning into Ted Lasso for the first time, uh-huh. you know, or back yeah. in the day, there would be shows. MASH didn't get an audience until season three. Yeah. You know, I think that some some executives or even maybe somebody on the board like Paul Ryan has to say, no, you know what? Let's get behind a Secretary Pete show. You know, let's get behind. I, I don't know who it would be, but it would or, 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 or a Joe Wall show. I think if you if you did it right and you really invested and gave it time to breathe, let it flesh out. I, I think that there's money there because you and I both know that the fringes might be the loudest. But they're not the majority. The majority is exhausted and in the middle and somewhere, you know, for example, you, you were talking about an interview you did the other day. You were talking about your position on pro-life. Yeah. Now, 
it is not the hardcore pro-life from the moment of conception thing. And when it comes to legislation, you're even more nuanced than that. I think 90% of the people, certainly 80% of the people do have nuanced views. If you allowed Nancy Mace to get together with uh, Spamberger yeah. uh, in Virginia, yeah. I think that they could figure something out somewhere between, I don't know, 15 weeks and, and 24 weeks, somewhere in there. Um, and then really figure out, uh, so, so, to your point that you were saying the other day, that, that okay, so if, if uh, we're making abortions illegal after a certain time, that we also have to come with support uh, for, for the woman and the child. So I think there's something there. Here's what I wanted to ask you about, though. So uh, I'm going on a, a little. Uh, I love it. I love it, Corey. Go, go, girl, go. I mean it. Okay. All right. So something I think we both have in common is that's. It's it's challenging trying to hold space or 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 be accepted across different worlds, different communities. Yeah. In my case, you know, I grew up very observantly Jewish, going to an Orthodox synagogue, then became a Christian later in life. Um, I, I am in two very different religious communities. Yeah. Uh, my career, I've worked in and among the entertainment industry in Hollywood, but I'm going to, uh, you know, a big Southern Baptist church. My kids are going to a Christian school, two very different socio-political communities, very different. But in your case, you came on the public stage, a rabble rouser, Tea Party movement. Um, you have very successful conservative radio show across the country for quite a few years. And yet from around 2018 on, because of Trump's takeover, your old party, you've had to distance yourself from much of what defines that political community, your people. So yeah. you're shunned by those who still insist on bowing down to the Trump idol. Um, and I'm sure, you know, just like I heard the other night at dinner, there are many outside of MAGA world who still want to associate you with with um, right. some of the more controversial things you said in the in, in your Tea Party and conservative radio days. Right. So these days, as as you're writing this next chapter of the Joe Walsh Walsh story, do you struggle to feel accepted to find a community of people that you could call my people or my home? Yeah, I I feel I feel homeless. I've felt homeless these last five years. I'm older than you. I don't know that I'll find a home before I leave this planet. Um, I got a voice. It's a pretty unique voice. Uh, I may never be able to monetize that voice. Corey, I'd love to run for office again. Love. Uh, uh, how do I do that? I'll never be a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. Uh, it's almost impossible to win as an independent. So, yeah, this is a no regrets, <laughs> but this is a difficult, lonely spot to be in. No doubt about it. So I'm going to ask you another personal question. Huh. Um, where is your belief in terms of God or a higher power? Such a freaking good question. I, uh, and I think you, maybe you and I haven't talked about this. Uh, born and raised traditional Catholic, always been Catholic. Uh, almost became a priest in my early 20s. Um, but I've never just accepted the fact that this guy lived 2,000 years ago. He preached for three years. He was killed on a cross. There was an empty tomb. And then he rose again in three days. I've spent my life studying whether that happened because it matters to me. So my, my religious faith, do I, I believe in a higher power. Uh, I believe in a God. I believe there's something that created all of this. As a 
Christian my whole life? Do I believe that that God became man 2,000 years ago and died on a cross and rose again? Um, I want to say yeah, but I've spent my whole life trying to figure out if that is a yeah. Yeah. Ah, uh, that's bad. We should, we got to have a whole other conversation we, just about that. You stuff. and I got to have a conversation about this. Yeah. So I, uh, some of the stuff I read before I was a Christian, I found less persuasive, but it was at least an introduction to what you're talking about. Was there a Yeshua ben Yosef, better known as Jesus, um, that walked the, you know, Palestine a area, a Jew, a Jew, a, Jew. a Middle Eastern, uh, Mashiach, um, the, the stuff that I was reading prior to becoming a Christian wasn't as persuasive. It was stuff like Josh McDowell, yeah. um, his evidence that demands a verdict. Although I appreciated him presenting, uh, trying to present an empirical case for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The stuff that I found a lot more persuasive was actually, um, it was also history work, but it was more academic history work. It was stuff by like N.T. Wright, Tom Wright's stuff. Yeah. Um, but his yeah. led to other theological implications. So for me, that's where it really resonated. When I read, I didn't know what I was reading at the time, but I read the Sermon on the Mount. And to me, as an observant Jew, it looked like a Devar Torah, like a, what rabbis do after we read a portion of the Torah. And it was just so profound. That's what really pulled me in, the theological convictions. And the painting, the, the picture that an N.T. Wright paints of first century Palestine allowed me to imagine myself there and saying, you know, this Yeshua is teaching something very, very different. And I think that he is the shepherd. I think that he is Mashiach. I think he is, you know, that I believe this. Um, and those conversations were happening at the time because there were the Essenes and there were the Zealots and there were the yeah. Pharisees. They were all kind of arguing with each other. And my dog, by the way, I don't know if you hear, he's arguing too. He's making his I love point. it. I love yeah. it. Um, but, but you know, Corey, you know, you know, you know, Jesus was apocalypto i mean jesus believed literally the kingdom of god was coming like now his earliest followers paul and the rest literally believed in their lifetime the kingdom was coming um you could make a really credible case jesus had no intention to ever build or grow a church i mean the end of the world was coming then it's fascinating to really i don't know how you can be a faithful Christian and not constantly study and test your faith, I guess is what I'm saying. No, that's been me. Since you bring it up, I think, though, the mistake that we make is we apply a present understanding of heaven and hell that, frankly, is disconnected from the scriptural understanding of, okay, um, you know, our Father who art in heaven, you know, the, the, what Jesus is talking about there is a very this worldly new earth uh, or a renewed earth. A lot of times when we're thinking about it, we're thinking of more of an Aristotelian version of that, this disembodied, completely, you know, um, spiritual, non, non-physical. That's not what Jesus was talking about. Well, I Jesus agree, but either way, Corey, it was happening in their lifetime. They believed either way. And, and that was profound. Yeah. Yeah. And then just to think then that a, that Christianity formed from that when he died on a cross, the Messiah, the King, the, and you know, the Jewish version of Messiah back then, yeah. it wasn't a dude who died on a cross, some poor, no. right? So 
fascinating stuff. Yeah, yeah. That, like I said, that's a whole other. Uh, I'll bring it on to the the other the <laughs> religion and politics as opposed to politics and religion. But okay, so so the, one more question about this. Um, it, so if you in your moments when you hear or feel the presence of God or a higher power, what is where do you feel prompted? What are you being called to do at this point in your life? Or when it comes to your life or your family, your community, your country, or do you feel a higher power that's calling you to something? And if so, what is that? Yeah, I've, I've, I've always felt called uh, to have a mission uh, to improve people's lives. Most people don't know I was a social worker a and teacher. a teacher yeah. and a teacher. Um, but I've always felt called to help those less fortunate. And it's why I got into politics. And so I feel called still now to, uh, it's a country thing. I've, I love America. Um, I taught about America. I think America's in a lot of trouble. And this is why I ran for Congress 10 years ago. It's now it's just a different angle on the mission, but I feel called as much as I can uh, to try to help bring this America together because I'm not convinced we can stay together. Yeah. You know, one other thing I was thinking about that I didn't get to ask you as much about is um, all those different chapters in your life. Uh, you, you already answered the question. One of the questions I had from studying at Strasbourg Institute, studying method acting, um, yeah. teacher, social worker, congressman, radio. There's this through line. I did want to ask you, though, about um, studying acting as a craft. You know, I studied Meisner and then I studied with yeah. um, Stella's Best Teachers. That that time really equipped me when you have to as Stanislavski would call it build a character create a role you have to really think about the human condition yeah. you have to breathe life into um what's written on the page did that preparation did that training inform how you engage with people to this day or did it inform how you've done your different jobs differently than other folks that uh, have had that those jobs yeah because and you probably agree Corey I I the the best actors are the truest actors and the most honest actors. And I, 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 what I loved about acting was honestly losing yourself in a role and conveying that to an audience. It's a lot like what I've done since. I mean, when I'm given a speech, when I'm on the radio, again, this is always honest, but when I go on the radio every night, I got something I want to say about guns because I love guns and I'm going to assume a role. I'm the teacher about guns tonight. I, I always felt that same kind of connection when I, when I acted and I really felt like I got something. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm, you got me thinking about acting. I think the best, the, yeah. the best times that I had as an actor um, and I quickly got into producing because I, I was a good working man's actor. You know, like yeah. I wasn't as talented as some of the guys that I was going to school with, the Mark Ruffalo's and those guys. Um, mm -hmm. But I was a hard working actor. Um, but I was really fucking talented as a producer. So <laughs> 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 but uh, when when I did have good moments, I I realized that I couldn't feel somebody else's pain. I couldn't feel someone else's joy. I couldn't feel somebody else's emotions. I could only feel mine, but I could execute it in the vein of the character that I was playing. Cool. You know, cool. so anyway, that's yeah. a 
yet another podcast. I, ha- I have a whole bunch of other shows that I got produced <laughs> now. Um, oh, are you writing? I heard you, when you were talking to Lucy, you were talking about writing. Are you writing now? In my dream world, Corey, uh, because I, I've always felt compelled to engage with people and be in front of people, that's always taken my time. I, in my dream world, I'm living on, in the middle of nowhere, just spending the rest of my life writing. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm finally into another book that I'm writing and it's basically going to be about the journey I've been on, why I took a blowtorch to my career five years ago and, and what it can and should mean to America. So kind of, kind of something like that. You've had, as you've mentioned, you've had a unique experience, um, and unique perspectives, from a big picture standpoint, from where you sit now, can you give us a diagnosis of what the hell is wrong with our politics, what's wrong with our country, what's wrong with our culture, and more importantly, what do we do about it? And, and you and I may have a different diagnosis. I think the problem is that we no longer agree as a nation on what America is on what the American experiment is. We fundamentally, as a people, no longer agree on our founding principle. How did we get there? A lot of reasons, but we're there now. And so it's like we now really envision living in a very different country. There are a lot of people I know in red state America who believe in a completely different America than people who live in blue state America. I mean, a completely different America. Um, the, the, our char- uh, Corey, we're a, we're a married couple that's on the brink and we should probably fucking split up or maybe get a divorce, but we've decided to go to therapy one final fucking time to see if we can save this marriage. I think that's where we are. Mm. Yeah, I I don't know what the answer is. I think I do have a different primary diagnosis, although you're describing something that is undeniable. Uh, You you were sharing or responding to um, something DeSantis was saying just the other day about teaching history. Um, So he has a very different history that he once taught than actual history, Um, or or at the very least, some sort of watered down white bread version of it. But I think I think that you are a part of the solution. I think that in the Congress right now, there is a caucus, the Problem Solvers Caucus, that's part of the solution. And I wondered, as watching your, you know, your old colleague, Kevin McCarthy, yeah. suffer through 14 votes before he finally got voted in, that he was beholden to a small group of extremists. I I don't understand why folks in um, Congressman uh, Fitzpatrick's uh, caucus couldn't understand that they could have that same leverage. Hey, Corey, this is what I, I'm not pissed at you, but like that whole, the whole last couple of weeks I've been on CNN and MSNBC and I get pissed at this premise that McCarthy is beholden to a small number of extremists. Bullshit. There are 222 Republicans in the house. There are a hell of a lot more Marjorie Taylor Greens than Brian Fitzpatrick's. Brian's a good dude. I served with him. He's uh, Fitzpatrick is the fringe of this party. 
There are, we talk about election deniers. The vast majority of Republicans in the House are election deniers. The vast majority of Republicans in the House are January 6th sympathizers. As a former House guy, the House perfectly reflects the bases of both parties. You see the same thing on the Democratic side. Uh, and the base of the Republican Party is Jim Jordan and Marjorie Taylor Greene. So it's not a minority. Kevin McCarthy has to deal with most of his caucus. That's where they are. So Paul Gosar and MTG and Lauren Boebert are closer they're not, they're to the center of the party. They're not minority anything. Oh, because, man. No, and, and here's the thing. There are a lot, most of the caucus is with them on damn near everything. They're just not, they, they don't, they're not as outspoken maybe, and they don't say all the crazy shit. But yeah. I could, I could go through all 222 house members with you. Yeah, you're and, right. And the crazies would outnumber the problem solvers. Unfortunately, in our district, you're absolutely right. You, you would think that of all districts, Mike Garcia, as a Republican representing California 27, would have some room to hang with uh, the Fitzpatricks and the, the problem solvers. But everything that you see him, his, his public uh, record, what he says in public, his Twitter feed, his voting record is all Paul Gosar and not Brian Fitzpatrick, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, do you have any hope in third party, open primaries, ranked choice voting? Is that part of the solution? I, I think I think a lot of those reforms are part of the solution. I don't believe uh, uh, Washington can fix itself. So I think the fix, like I think we I think we're living in revolutionary times. And, and I've said that for a long time. So the, I, and all that means to me is the fix for our problem has got to come from outside. Um, I've wrestled with a new party. I think we need a third party, a fourth party, a fifth party. But I, I worry that right now isn't the time because my former party is a real threat to our democracy. So for now, I'm a Democrat because that's the only other game in town. I, I'm hoping that uh, Governor Whitman and Andrew Yang and Miles, they have a long game uh, the, with the forward party. It be, and I think I think they do. I don't think they that, do. Yeah, uh, because I think that if they plant the seeds now at the state and local level uh, and 24, 26, 28 start to expand from there, I do think there's hope for a party like that, uh, a cross uh, partisan. It's not really cross partisan because uh, they're 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 no longer Democrats and Republicans. Right. Um, but over a 10 year span. But if you're hoping that, oh, we're going to win the 2024 presidential election, um, that, that's doomed from the get go. Um, completely agree. I completely agree with that. Core. There's yeah. so much more I want to talk to you about. Um, one, <laughs> one, li one little biter thing. And then I have my two big questions to, to, to finally land this plane. Huh. Um, one is, do you think Jim Jordan thinks investigation Palooza is really going to persuade anybody or is is he know from the get go that he's just doing it to like raise money and to, you know, win Red's got a, you know, cha-ching. And what is it? What does he think it's going to do? Uh, I know Jordan. Well, he and I were best friends. He's a true believer. He, he believes that uh, Democrats are the, are evil and the enemy. Biden is evil and the enemy. And it's his job to investigate the shit out of everything they've done. He but he, does it. he think it's going to be effective in terms of persuading voters? He doesn't care. OK. To him, it's just a war that he has to fight. It's a war that he has to fight. And he knows, Corey, it will make his voters, the base, happy.
Ah, pisses me off. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. So I, I hate to end there, but okay. Do you have any questions for me? Yeah, I'm not going to let you, I'm not going to let you end on a high note. No, I'm, if you're going to, if you and I are going to have a conversation, it's generally going to end on a, on a downer of a note. Um, <laughs> are, are, are you answer me this question? You and I are trying to do the same damn thing. Are you frustrated? Yeah, I am frustrated. I'm more often frustrated with myself because I fucked up. Um, the other night I was at this, uh, it was politics, religion, race, science, you know, whatever. Um, it was a conversation among a bunch of folks uh, that are somewhat prominent in this community. Um, and the, the most prominent real estate, um, uh, commercial real estate developer came over and hung out with us for a little while. And uh I might've been one or two drinks in or, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I said a couple things cause he's associated with um, a pastor that I, I've just, I, I've learned increasingly is uh, a terrible influence theologically, yeah. socially. And I, I said as much. Um, so I wasn't necessarily frustrated that at that guy, um, he believes that the earth was you know created six something thousand years ago and seven literal 24 hour days. I was more frustrated with myself that I didn't, have the posture that Monica Guzman would advocate for. Tell me, tell me, so why do you think that? You know, oh, I never thought of it that way. You know, that I couldn't engage with him on a more gracious level. So that's that's what I'm frustrated. I'm more often frustrated with myself. Yeah. But there are those moments when it's like, oh, you know what? We, we did have a nice conversation. Yeah. And I learned something new about why my friend thinks that way. Um, and, uh, it opens the door for them to become curious about why I think the way I do, you know, well, and, and, and even if you and I aren't moving hundreds of thousands of people every week, people who listen to you and I, we are moving some people. Well, I, I do have to take, listen, my show is not nearly as big as the white flag. I know you have a hundred million gazillion listeners, but bullshit <laughs> no but you know what what's encouraging is that it, it's um incremental so the, yeah. the first time we talked about a year a little over a year ago compared to now it, we have more listeners by an order of magnitude now fantastic it's 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 really it's still not big it's still you know i'm not lighting the world on fire but you right. know what incrementally it tells me that folks want to have these conversations they want to hear from somebody they thought was this asshole who's, you know, lighting everything on fire. And, oh, wow, huh, I didn't know that about Joe Walsh, you yeah. know? So it is encouraging uh, that, that it's also encouraging. It's just as encouraging to see Charlie and the Bulwark folks are getting more listeners and the, the dispatch yeah. folks and, you yeah. know, Ron uh, Steslo and Mike Madrid yeah. and, and Lucy and that, and their team at Politicology are getting more listeners. So it is, it is encouraging. Long to game. I, yeah. I, I, you you got to keep, I, you're still young. You got to keep remind we're in this for the long game. Yeah. Bit by yeah. bit, incrementally. Yeah. So speaking of white flag, how can folks find you online? White flag with Joe Walsh and all the great work that you're doing. Um, anywhere people listen to podcasts, white flag with Joe Walsh is the name of it. Check it out. Um, every week I try to sit down with another high profile person who doesn't think like me. And we try to respectfully go at it. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Walsh Freedom. Uh, that's about it. And, Okay, I do have one more question for you. So what? I got to know Helene a little bit through this process. Yeah. 
Is Helene going to run for? She she should run for office. I don't know if you can, but I <laughs> it, has Helene thought about running? She was a state uh, legislator. She was uh, in Illinois. Uh, she was appointed a state rep because the the uh, incumbent Republican state rep ran into some personal trouble. Um, uh, and then, and then she ran for reelection in 2018 when, which was Trump's really bad year. Mm. She's, uh, she's too good and nice and decent for this <laughs> shitty world of politics. Well, I would move into your district and just to vote for Helene, just so to tell her that if that's, uh, that's, she's got one vote. <laughs> Well, you, you, me, and Helene have got to uh, break some bread together soon. Absolutely. So I'll, uh, I'll text you and uh, love that. I'll be in your neighborhood and, and we're going to make that happen, man. So thanks again for coming. I love hanging out with you. So, you know, this is, this has been a real treat for me. I really appreciate it. I respect what you're doing, young man. I really do. Keep it up, brother. Thanks, man. And as always, if you dig what we're doing here, hit the subscribe button. Leave us a review and comments wherever you get your podcasts and tell a friend about talk politics and religion without killing each other. We're so easy to find. It's politicsandreligion.us. That's politicsandreligion.us. Now go talk some politics and religion with gentleness and respect and have a great week. Thank you for joining us today. If you dig what we're doing here, it is super easy to follow us. You can go to our site, politicsandreligion.us. That's with the and spelled out, A-N-D. Politicsandreligion.us. And we're on all the socials, at TP and R pod. You know, TP and R pod for talking politics and religion pod. And here's a big way you can support us, by becoming one of our patrons. You can even become a producer or executive producer of our program and have a lot more say in who we bring on, the kinds of questions we explore, or just help us keep the lights on. But mostly, we really appreciate you giving us a listen. So for the whole team here at Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other, thanks for hanging out with us. We'll be back in a few days to do our little part in Tikkun Olam.